0: Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. All right, well, I will try to finish this today. If I don't, I don't expect another opportunity, but uh, it is nice to have this second opportunity to finish this up. I felt like last time that I, I mean the time literally just got away from me and I apologize for that. Let me get my clock out this time. So this is not going to be uh, the book of Revelation part two. As I said last time, I joked with people that I was going to teach through the book of Revelation in 20 minutes, which is impossible. So I'm not going to try that. But the authority of the believer part two. And if you weren't here for the first one, that's okay. I'm going to recap here for just a few minutes. Uh, I made a statement last time uh, with the blessing of Pastor Scott uh, that I used the word correctly, that faith and authority are inexorably linked. I'm not even sure I pronounced that right this time. But faith and authority are linked together, just like faith and healing, just like faith and prosperity, anything that we're believing, any of God's promises that we're believing Him for, we have to walk by faith. And we know in Romans, it says the just do what? Live Live by faith. I mean, we literally every day have to live by faith. And faith is a firm, a simple definition of faith is a firm trust and reliance in God. I like what um, Gene May said one time. He said, it's acting as though God's word is true. And that's what Those are simple definitions of faith. And so faith and authority are linked. Last time we looked at Matthew chapter 8. You don't have to turn there right now, but we'll turn there in a little bit. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. And we saw that the centurion referred to Jesus as Lord. So my point in saying that is that the centurion, he honored Jesus. He had a lot of respect and honor for the Lord. And he called him Lord. Which is interesting because this man was a Gentile, obviously. He was a centurion. He was a Roman soldier. But he called Jesus Lord. And that is important in that story because I don't think that he would have got the results that he got had he not referred to Jesus as Lord or honored him as Lord, but he certainly did. Understanding authority, this is from last time, is an enormous part of exercising faith. Understanding authority requires, number one, understanding our position and I made a big deal about this last time, that the devil is where? Under our feet. You realize that a lot of the body of Christ doesn't know that? A lot of the body of Christ, and I I used to have these discussions with even people in my church sometimes. They were scared of the devil. Don't say that too loud. The devil might hear you. I don't care if the devil hears me. Let him hear me. I'm not scared of the devil. You shouldn't be scared of the devil. Any born-again Christian should not be scared of the devil because he's a defeated foe. Jesus defeated him and he's under our feet. There is no reason to be scared of the devil or any of his works or tactics. I had, um, at one point in time, there was, I don't know how many, but I was told by some other pastors that there were Wiccans or Satanists or some, some group like that operating in Sullivan County and that they were putting curses on churches. And I thought, let them try it, let them do it. I don't care. You know what the Apostle Paul said about sorcery and witchcraft? He said it's a work of the flesh. It's not a work of the spirit. It's a work of the flesh. Now, there are evil spirits behind it, but it's a work of the flesh. We should not be scared of a work of the flesh. It doesn't matter what the devil tries to do or what the devil tries to say to you. Don't let him fool you. Don't let him scare you and remind him of where he's at. He is under your feet. He has no authority in your life except the authority that you allow him to have. That's the only authority. Adam and Eve did not have to be deceived. I've, I've made this statement. I think I heard Kent Hovind make this statement that Adam was the smartest man that ever lived on the face of the earth because he came straight from the hand of God. And he, we assume, and I think it's a right assumption, that he used the full capacity of his brain. Because he came right from the hand of God. He was a brand new creation. He was a new creature in Christ. Men today use, what, 10 or 15% of our brains? The women would say probably less, maybe. (laughs) But Adam used the full capacity of his brain. And we say, well, yeah, but they didn't have computers. He didn't invent computers. He wasn't as smart as people are today. Um, Smart, being smart, or having um, that capacity to do those things does not equal... uh, What's, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't mean that Adam wasn't the smartest man on the face of the earth just because he didn't invent a computer. It means he used the full capacity of his brain. He didn't need a computer at that point in time. But the devil was able to deceive the smartest man and the smartest woman on the face of the earth. How did he do it? Right here. In the mind with thoughts. And the devil's tactics have not changed. This sounds like a different message than authority, but it's not. Because we can give authority to the enemy because we believe his thoughts and give in to his lies. But the devil's tactics have not changed since the beginning. He still attacks us in our minds, the way that we think, the way that that he desires to plant thoughts in us to get us off of believing God's word. So we need to understand who we are in our position. Number two, understanding who stands behind us, understanding that our authority comes from Jesus and from the name of Jesus because of what he did for us. We did not do this for ourselves. I mean, most Christians, I think, are aware of that. There's no way that we could have done this for ourselves. Everything that we have as Christians in a spiritual sense comes because of what God has done through his Son. And that's, what, that's who stands behind us. Jesus stands behind us. Number three, understanding what we can and cannot do. So there are many things that I cannot exercise my faith over. This is still review. I went over this last time. I cannot exercise my faith over someone else's will. We had an interesting discussion in the men's uh, prayer yesterday about, uh, I think somebody had mentioned um, the politicians in D.C. How many of you know the politicians in D.C. don't always make the best choices? for the people that they're representing. Well, we can pray that God would take them out of office. We can pray that all these, all these things that, that we pray about and, and um, you know, God do this in the name of Jesus, change, change that and change this and change that. But unless that individual's heart changes, their thoughts are not going to change. Their actions are not going to change. It's a heart issue. The politicians that are doing evil things in Washington, D.C., folks, it's a heart issue. We need to pray that God would deal with their hearts, that he would draw them to him through Christ, that he would take the blinders. There are prayers that we can pray for them that will be effective, but to just pray these blanket general prayers that we think are prayed in authority because we say the name of Jesus that aren't biblical, they're not going to have any kind of effect. So there, we have to understand what we can and can't do. We find that, of course, in the Word of God. I had, um, I, and not just me, but uh, on Mondays, I've uh, been meeting with some men at Panera in the morning to have coffee. And uh, this last Monday, I, I've gotten to know the chief police chief in Champaign somewhat um, through meetings that we've had with him and everything. And uh, so I texted him and invited him to coffee at Panera. I didn't know if he'd be able to stop by or not. I, don't, I didn't know what his schedule was like. Well, he ended up stopping by. His name is Timothy Tyler. He's the police chief in Champaign. And i want to tell you, if you live in Champaign, you got a great police chief. He is a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. When he sat down, we had been talking about prophecy or speaking in tongues or something like that. And I said, uh, Chief Tyler, I said, I hope you're not offended by us talking about this. He said, no, it doesn't offend me. He said, I pray in tongues every day. He's a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, and he is very bold about his faith. But the one thing that you'll see about him very quickly if you listen to him talk is that he, at heart, is an evangelist. I mean, through and through. He even said during our discussion, he said, "I, I will introduce Jesus to people, and I want them to say the sinner's prayer, but once they do, he said, I leave them. He said, I let other people pick up from there. He said, that's all I'm interested in is people getting saved. I want people to get saved. And then I pray that God will bring somebody on their, in their, on their path or in their path and that they will disciple them and that they'll get in a good church. But he said, I'm all about salvation. That's what he does. And so he knows what his lane is. He knows where his gifts and abilities flow. And I'm almost the opposite of Chief Tyler. I, it's not that I can't present the gospel to somebody. It's not that I don't want people to get saved. I do. I want to see the kingdom of God grow, but I'm more about discipleship. I could sit with somebody for hours and talk about the word of God. I mean, literally hours and just go through the word of God and go through doctrine and go through theology and just talk and talk and talk about those things. Whereas with Chief Tyler, he'd probably be, oh, I got to get going. He'd be bored to tears because that's not his thing. And one of the things that I found in pastoral ministry is there are a lot of Christians who don't want to stay in their lane. And when I say stay in their lane, I mean the things that God has put in them and gifted them to do for the body of Christ, to bless the body of Christ, to build the body of Christ. If we will each find that place and do the work that God has called us to do, each part doing its share, it says in Ephesians, causes growth in the body. What's going to cause growth in this local body, according to Ephesians? Each of us doing our share, doing the thing that God has called us to do, and staying in that lane. Listen, if I tried to play piano for you guys in worship, it would not be pleasant. And I don't know if any of you have ever seen praise and worship rehearsals, either on Sunday mornings or the ones we do on Thursdays. Cheryl is amazing. I know she's my sister-in-law. I'm not trying to put her too high on a pedestal here, but I'm telling you what— how she can listen to five or six vocalists and say "Courtney are you singing you're singing melody you should be singing such and such and here's the notes" and I go "what? how could you even tell that?" I mean I do the production sound for the for the live stream when I'm not usually when I'm not playing drums and I can mix the vocals but I can't tell who's singing harmony and who's singing melody. She can tell. She's got the ear for that and she can play the notes they're supposed and I'm just that that amazes me. We've got amazing musicians and singers up here. I'm a 58-year-old drummer. I'm just blessed that they allow me to play with them. Okay? But we've got some amazing musicians up here. So, but if everybody stays in their lane and does what God has gifted them to do, it works. And it's the same way in the body of Christ. So we need to know, we need to understand what we can and can't do. The centurion understood all these things concerning uh, authority and therefore, he had faith that Jesus could heal his servant with a word. Understanding our authority is the key to faith, and, and faith is a key to understanding authority. Oftentimes, we hear Christians attempting to exercise authority in areas, like I said, over which they do not have authority. I told you about the Chief, Chief Tyler story, and what I appreciated about him, too, was he, is a, he said, I'm a rules and policy person. I like rules and I like policies. he He could probably study and write policies all day long. He's a colonel in the Army Reserve, as well as being the police chief in Champaign. And he said, as Christians, this is our policy book. This is our rule book. I know that our culture doesn't like the word rules. But we have rules. Everything we need to know to be a success in this life as a child of God comes from this. That's why we need to study it, know it, and walk in it. And I liked what he said about. I lost a page out of my Bible. How about that? All right, I'll put it back there. But I liked what he said about that—that the that the Bible was our policy book. Number four. This is the fourth thing I talked about last time. If we speak with our words without our words being rooted in authority of Jesus' name, there is no power behind it, because Jesus is the power behind all these things concerning our. Christian walk. We really need to check our hearts and ask ourselves, do I truly believe that the words I speak in Jesus' name will affect a cure or cast out a demon or move a mountain? Um, I've had many times in my life, well, I'll give you an example. I, uh, I had a, um, I was having a discussion, and, and um, let me give you a little background here. The, the town that I pastored in was about the size of St. Joe between four and 5,000 people. It seemed like a bigger city or village because we had, it was the um, county seat, so the courthouse was on the square. We had a Walmart. We had a McDonald's, Burger King, Hardee's. Uh, we had Casey's. We had DQ. Uh, um, we, I mean, it just seemed like a, a larger community than St. Joe. But it was about the same size population-wise, and we had over 20 churches. You've got five churches here in St. Joe. We had over 20 in a town about the same size. And some people would say, well, that's a great thing because Christianity must have really been prevailing in Sullivan, Indiana. No, it wasn't. I, as a pastor there, I, I loved all the other pastors, got along with them fine. We had a large clergy association, obviously. I think in the county, a county of about 25,000, 15 to 20,000 people, there were over 72 churches in the county, and mostly Methodists. I mean, John Wesley must have spent a lot of time there. So, we had a lot of churches, a lot of pastors. Any clergy meeting that we had, there would probably be 15 or 20 clergy there. Here in St. Joe, you might have four or five. So I got along with all of them well. We had a lot of great discussions, uh, a lot of good times with a lot of the other pastors. But I was having lunch with two pastors. I won't mention the denomination because I'm, I'm not here to bash any denominations. These were, most of the clergy were really good people, born-again people, loved the Lord, as did these two gentlemen. And so I had had my gallbladder out earlier that year, and uh, we—one of them—we were talking about healing and the gifts of the Spirit. Of course, seems like all the pastors wanted to talk about that with me, or I wanted to talk about it with them. I always tried to start conversations about that. And so uh, I told them that I'd had my gallbladder out, and one of the pastors said to me, "See, God used the doctors to heal you." And his name was Don. I said, "Don, I wasn't healed. I lost an organ." If I were healed, I'd still have the organ, and it would be functioning properly. Now, I'm thankful for the doctors. Don't misunderstand. But I was very honest with them, and I said, look, here's the truth of the matter. I was not trusting and believing God for healing. I was not speaking that over my body as I should have. I was trusting what the doctors could do because I knew that it was a simple outpatient surgery, and I'd be out the same day, which I I think I was out the same day. I I didn't spend the night there. And I said, but there was, no, there was no real faith involved in this other than knowing that the doctors could do what they do and do it well and that I wouldn't have the pain anymore. But, but God didn't heal. I mean, the doctors helped, and I'm thankful for that, but I wasn't healed because I lost an organ. I've lost my appendix too. I've lost two organs out of my body that were not healed. So this same pastor said to me about the gifts of the Spirit, he said, And healing, he said, you know, I believe God can do those things. He said, I don't have a problem with the gifts of the Spirit. He said, but how come these things don't happen in my church? And I said, do you really want me to answer that? And he said, yes. And I said, do you ever teach on it? And do you exhort your people to step out in it? Because where there's no teaching, there's no faith. Where there's no faith, there's no expectation. And he sat there real quiet and looked at me and said, and he was about getting ready to retire, so I don't know that it necessarily made a change in his church. Or, you know, but hopefully it spoke to his heart. But the fact of the matter is, if we're going to believe God, we need to really check our hearts and say, am I truly believing that God's word is true and that he's going to do these things that he said he was going to do? We need to know the word of God and what it tells us about when, where, and over what we can exercise authority. And do we have the assurance in our hearts, or are we just hoping we're saying the right things that will move God? And I have found that to be true in my prayer life oftentimes. I know the right words to say. I know what the Word of God says. But I have to really check my heart and say, am I believing it in here? And the heart in, in Scripture is, is, I mean, there's a real heart that pumps. But the heart I'm talking about is the figurative heart. And I think in the, in the Hebrew, it's is the word lev, L-E-V. But it talks, it's talking about a place of passion a deep-seated place of a passion in our hearts. It's, it's. Uh, I, I can only relate it probably to the love that I have for my wife. It's deep-seated. It's down in here. I would give my life for my wife and my kids. I love them that much. That's a deep-seated place of emotion. That's the kind of heart that I'm talking about where faith comes from. That kind of deep-seated, rooted, deep-rooted place of passion and emotion. If it's in our heart and it comes out of our mouth, that's faith. If that kind of thing comes out of our heart, the Word of God comes out of our heart like that, and from that deep place, that's what faith is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks is what the Word of God tells us. Okay, so now turn over to Matthew 8. We'll finish up looking at what, what happened with the centurion and his servant. Matthew chapter 8. And I know that most of you know this story, but hopefully you'll get something that the Holy Spirit shows you today concerning this. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. So I'm picking up here where I left off that Wednesday night that I taught on this. It says, when Jesus heard it, this this was the statement that that the centurion made about, look, all you have to do is speak a word, and my servant will be healed. Because I'm a man under authority, I understand authority, and I know that you're a man of authority, so all you have to do is speak a word. He said, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. That's quite a slam against Israel, isn't it? I mean, these were God's people. These were God's covenant people. And he said, I haven't found this kind of faith, even in Israel. I mean, how sad is that? And then he goes on to say, and I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And I believe, I haven't read many commentaries on this, so this is off the top of my head. I think what he's talking about here is the fact that there's going to be a lot of Gentiles, people from the east and west, people other than Israelites, come and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. But then he goes on to say, but the sons of the kingdom, who are the sons of the kingdom in this context that he's talking about? Would be the Israelites, But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, that's hell. So what he's telling these Israelites, these Jews, is... I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. And there's going to be people come from the east and the west... ...who are not Israelites that are going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're going to be accepted. They're going to be in the kingdom of God. But yet the sons of the kingdom, the Israelites are going to experience weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a very, very sad commentary, but very true concerning what was going on in Israel at that time. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Those words, as you have believed, are extremely important in the context of this story. How many times in Jesus' ministry did he say, be it done to you as you believed, or or, your faith has made you whole, uh, indicating that the person's faith can make them whole? I believe this, that there's many ways that somebody can be healed, biblically. I've I've said this before uh, to my congregation back when I pastored, that God has all of his bases covered. He can heal us through a working of miracles that has nothing to do with our faith, just like the man at the pool of Bethesda didn't know who Jesus was. We can be healed through our faith because we have such faith built up in our hearts that we're believing God, trusting God, speaking God's word, and we're healed because of our faith, just like the woman with the flow of blood that came to him and said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, and he said, go your way. Your faith, your faith made you whole. Or it can be uh, my faith, laying hands on someone, speaking the word of God over them, lay hands on the sick, and they might recover. They shall recover. That's very definite. That's a definite promise. And you know it says in the word of God that all of his promises are maybe and what if. All of his promises are yes and amen. But there's also something else in that verse that we miss. Yes and in him, amen. So his promises are yes. That's the first thing we should grab a hold of. And in him, so be it. It's done. It's finished. They're, they're not only yes, they're finished. In Him, they're finished. So if we can get to that place in our spiritual life where we believe that and we walk in that, think about what God can do in us and through us. My gosh. I mean, the body of Christ should be a force in this world because of the authority and the, and the, and the power that we've been given. We have the power to be witnesses, born again, not just born again, but full of the Holy Ghost Christians, filled with the Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead residing in us that causes us to be a witness. I'm always just amazed by the story of Peter and John at at the gate where the man's begging for alms, and they say, we don't have gold and silver, but what we have, we give to you. He said, what we have. We give to you. What did they have? They had power. Yeah. Yeah. Are we any different than Peter and John? Now, a denominational person, again, not, not trying to condemn or put down denominations, but I grew up in a denomination that, that, were, that were cessationist, by and large. But they would say, those things passed away, and we, we don't have the same power that the disciples had today. But yet, in Matthew 28, one of the Great Commissions, one of the versions of the Great Commission, Jesus said, go into all the world make disciples of all nations, teaching them all the things that I commanded you. All the things that I commanded you. You know that he told the twelve to go out and heal the lepers and raise the dead? Are we teaching people that today? I'm talking about the church at large. I know here we believe in healing. Now, I'm not, and I'm not suggesting that any of you, you know, next week, if you have somebody die, try to go out and raise the dead. If the Holy Spirit tells you to do that and leads you to do that, then by golly, do it. But, because you'll have the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit to do it. But, but realize this, we can do those things. We can do those things because Jesus said in uh, John 14, one of my favorite passages, he said, those who believe, he said, the things that I do, they will do also and greater works. He said, the works that I do, they'll do also and greater works because I go to my Father. And when he went to the Father, what did he do? What's he talking about in that passage? He's talking about sending the Holy Spirit. And that empowers us to be witnesses. We have the power to do the same things that the disciples and the apostles did in the early church. And yet, even if you look at charismatic word of faith churches, nope, I'm, I'm part of this. I'm part of this. So this is not, I'm not condemning anybody. If anything, I'm throwing myself in the same boat as everyone else. How often do we do those things? How often do we see them manifest? And yet, he has told us and and even commanded us to go into all the world and do those things. So, I'm just encouraging you today, let's step up and let's start believing God and trusting God that in the name of Jesus, we can do these things. We can cast out demons. We can heal the sick. Not my power, but because of the name of Jesus, because of the command he's given me, and the commission that he's given each one of us, we can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. If we believe. I don't even know where I was in my notes, so sorry. Uh, Again, faith and authority are linked. I said that already. But if, if we speak something authoritatively, but there's no faith in my heart, it won't happen. And I want to say this too, that authority... Uh, doesn't have to be exercised in a loud manner or even a passionate manner. What did Jesus say to the centurion? Go your way. because of, it's, it's done because of what you, what you believe in your heart. Yeah. You know, if you look at how Jesus ministered to people in, his, in the Gospels, can anybody think of one time where he was ministering to somebody where, he, where it indicates in Scripture in the context of the passage the tenor of, the tenor of the passage, that it sounds like he was shouting at somebody. Or grabbing their head and going, be healed. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of anybody that does that. I'm just saying, I, I, I told my church one time, I said, I, I think in our church many people would almost be offended if you came up to me and I said, go your way, be healed in Jesus' name. Yeah. Yeah. And didn't even put my hand on him." Yeah. Right. But how often did Jesus do that in his ministry? Be it unto you as you believe. Go your way. Be healed. It's it's not about how loud we shout. It's not about how worked up we get and, you know, how much we, you know, do a little dance or, or whatever. Those things are insignificant when it comes to believing in our heart. Down in that deep place of passion and emotion, what God has told us and then exercising the faith that comes out of our mouth to affect the situation. That's what counts. Now, passion, there's nothing wrong with passion because I've got passion inside of me right now about this message. And I'm probably talking some, a little bit louder than you've heard me talk. If you've talked to me face to face, you know, well, this is really unlike Jeff. Well, it's, it's just that, that thing inside of me coming out. So nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with running and dancing in church. I'm not not putting any of that down. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying those things alone do not produce results. It's the name of Jesus spoken from this place of passion in our hearts and belief out of our mouth that will affect a cure. That's what causes things to change. That's what causes mountains to move. Amen? Okay. So if I have faith in my heart but doubt that I have authority to speak to something, nothing is going to happen. A person can have faith that God heals, but not understand the authority they have been given over sickness and disease and over all the works of the enemy. And I told you the story I had with these two pastors, and I've heard other pastors say the same thing. I don't have a problem with the, the spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues. Um, I don't want to... Uh, never mind. I just had a check in my heart. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Ask me privately, I might tell you. <laughs> um, but I've had, I've had pastors say that, and my, my, my initial response in my heart is, but they don't really want it. Mm-hmm. Because if they really want it, they would study it, they would preach it and teach it, and they would encourage people to do it. Yeah. If they really want to see it happen. Yeah. Because as I said before, if there's no faith, there's no expectation. If there's no expectation, there's not going to be a manifestation. So we have to believe and uh, believe that God's word is true and that we can actually do these things that he told us to do. Luke chapter 10. Turn there with me if you would. Luke 10. This is after he sent the 70 out. And... uh, When the 70 came back in verse 17, it says, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they were obviously kind of amazed by this. Wow, even the demons are subject to us in your name. How many many here, and I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or embarrass those who don't raise their hand, but how many have ever cast a demon out of somebody? One, two, three, four. Four, four people. That's pretty good, actually. I didn't really expect that many hands. but um, I've cast demons. I, I know that I, I have done that a couple of times. But I've had opportunities to do that quite often. And I don't think that demons are hard to recognize, somebody who's demon-possessed. Um, I've actually had somebody ask me before, well, I, let me tell you the story. I, I was... Um, I was pretty new in the ministry. Uh, we were living on Main Street in Sullivan, which was probably the first two years we were there. And then we moved into the house that we had for the rest of the time I was there. But anyway, so it was pretty early on because we were living in that house. And I had a woman who I think she was on my board at the time. And, and this was when we were having elections for board members, which I did away with about four or five years in, into my pastor there, we kind of came to a crossroads and I told my board, I said, I'm not the pastor of this church because I don't even choose leadership. And I knew that going into it, but I was trying, I was trying to do what Brother Hagan said, don't change everything too quickly. But I knew that that was going to have to change in order for me to stay there and actually become the pastor of the church. And so anyway, we changed the bylaws down the road. But <clears throat> so it was before that change and it was pretty early on. And this woman who had a key to the church, uh, who was one of my board members, was there in the lobby of the church with her, her grandson, and she said, I think my grandson has a demon. Can you get up to the church? And I'm going, Okay. <laughs> so I wasn't very far from the church. I drove down there. And when I walked in the door to the lobby, I saw, and this grandson was 19, maybe 19, 20 years old. I mean, he was he was a he was an adult laying on the floor in a fetal position. And Grandma and this other overly spiritual woman were praying in tongues over this young man, you know, trying to cast a demon out of him. And I looked at this situation and went, I don't think he has a demon. And I, and I kicked him on the shoulder. I didn't kick him real hard, but I got his attention. I didn't put in bruises or anything. I don't want you to think I'm a mean person, but I kind of kicked him on the shoulder. I said, hey, I said, get up. And I grabbed his arm and stood him up. I said, stand up like a man. And I said, you and I are going to go in my office and talk. And so we went into my office and shut the door. Well, Grandma didn't like that no, because she thought he needed a demon cast out of him. And we sat and talked for quite a while. And he had, some, he had a couple of issues in his life that were not hard to overcome in Jesus and, and by the Spirit of God. I mean, we talked about those things. And at one point the conversation, we're just having a conversation about some of these things that are bothering him. And he said, so you don't think I have demons? Well, if you have to ask me if you have demons you don't have a demon. That's my opinion. I think it's a pretty solid opinion. <clears throat> so I've encountered those types of situations. And by the way, grandma kept opening the doors. everything okay in here? I said, I said yes, <laughs> Norma, everything's fine. We'll be out in just a little bit. But I encouraged him to stop, stop uh, mooching off his grandmother and get a job. Grow up and get a job. And throw away these things in your life that are causing problems. Throw them in the trash, you know, and all this stuff. So we had a good talk. And, I, and he actually ended up taking over his grandpa and grandma's business down the road and became involved in a church. And so I don't know if it was my conversation with him that did that, but I think it was, I mean, it was the spirit of God working in his life. But, uh, but, but I've also encountered people that I know had a demon. And usually in our culture today, I don't think we encounter a lot of people just out here on the street that are demon-possessed. Because typically the police will take them to the fifth floor of mercy or put them in a mental institution somewhere I mean we if you go to a prison in the uh, um, what they call it down at Carlisle the uh, <clears throat> where people are locked up twenty three and a half hours out of the day because of the issues and the problems that they have, you go into a place like that you'll see a lot of demons in there I mean they throw feces out the the, the door and at the guards and stuff. I mean, I, we had a guard in our church that just retired from the prison down at Carlisle, Indiana. He used to tell me those stories all the time. There's a lot of demon-possessed people in there, but that's what happens to a lot of demon-possessed people in our culture. They get locked up. But when I was a police officer, there was a, there was a black gentleman in uh, Champagne. His name was Henry something. I can't remember his last name. I can still picture his face. And Henry got kicked out of the McKinley Foundation uh, Winter Shelter the winter shelter in Champaign was a place where uh, they would keep people overnights during the wintertime, um, <clears throat> and it was full all the time. And Henry would get in fights and provoke people there, so he ended up getting kicked out of the winter shelter. So he's out on the street in the wintertime. Well, Henry needed a place to sleep and some meals, and so he would try to go to jail so that he could have three hots and a cot. And so one time, I'll give you an example. There used to be a white hand pantry at Sixth and Green. Anybody remember that? Well, Henry went in there and took a ham out of the refrigerator section and went out on the front steps of White Ham Pantry, sat down, and opened it up and started eating it. And he knew the police were going to get called, so we got called, and we said, Henry, what are you doing? Uh, I'm just... And he would talk like this real fast and mumbly, like, you know, like this. And couldn't hardly understand what he was saying. I said, Henry, come on. Going to jail. Oh, good, 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 good. And he'd stand up, put his hands behind his back because he wanted to go to jail because he'd get three hots on the cot. And he would, he, during the wintertime, you could always count on Henry to be doing this kind of stuff all the time. Well, one night I got called to the, what's the theater that was down there on Green Street across from uh, Mabel's uh, bar? Co was it? Co ed? I got, he, w- he was throwing snowballs at patrons in line out in front of the co And so, and somebody said it was Henry, whatever his last name was, and I thought, oh, here we go again. So I drove up across the street, I'm facing east. He's on the other side of the street, and Henry is across the street looking at me making a snowball with a smile on his face. I said, Henry, don't do it. Don't do it. And he went, and threw a snowball at me, and I went like that. And I said, come here. So he comes over, puts his hands behind his back. <laughs> He's ready to go to jail. And so on the way to jail that night, I didn't even mention Jesus, but he starts talking about Jesus in this real fast, mumbly voice. I know Jesus. I know Jesus. I know who Jesus is. I know it. And I'm thinking, I bet those demons inside of you know who Jesus is, yeah. because I trust me, they can they can recognize right. a Christian, a serious Christian. They they know when you're. I, I there was a story that Dennis and Jeannie Cook told us about a witch doctor who got saved in one of the villages down in the Darien Jungle, and he told them after he got born again that whenever Dennis and Jeannie would approach their village, he would hear trumpet sounds and a voice that says, that said, the children of God are coming. The children of God, or children of the king, or something like that, are coming. Yeah. Yeah. Make, way. Make, way. Make way. And he, he would hear that, this witch doctor, before he got saved. I'm telling you, there is this spiritual realm that is powerful, that we oftentimes ignore, and don't have a clue what's going on around us, that we are part of. I had a, another guy one night in front of the police department and I was there with a the lieutenant and, and another officer and this guy wanted us to give him a ride somewhere and the lieutenant was saying, look, we're not a taxi service, we're not going to give you a ride, we can call you a cab, we can do whatever, or you can walk, but we're not going to do that. And this guy looked right at me and he said, you know what I'm talking about. And I thought, Phew. another manifestation right there, this guy, this guy had a demon in him that knew who I was and i didn't cast the demon out. i wasn't in charge of that situation the lieutenant was handling it so but i thought that was kind of odd i mean not odd but i mean that's just should be that's life for us because there is a spirit realm and de- and people are demon possessed we need to exercise our authority so back to uh, luke chapter 10 verse 18 this is after they said even the demons are subject to us in your name and he said to them i saw satan fall from like lightning from heaven that's it's that, almost like jesus says yeah so, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. Now, I believe that was at the beginning. That was after the first six days of creation. Why do I say that? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big-time creation person. I love That's one of my favorite subjects. So, if you ever want to get me talking about something biblical, let's talk about creation. Um, at the end of the sixth day, what did God say about creation? Everything was very good. very good. There was no evil at the sixth, after the sixth day of creation. The devil didn't fall in, in verses 2 and 3 and tear up the earth and, you know, God had to recreate it. That is unbiblical because at the end of the sixth day of creation, everything was very good, no evil. So the devil and the angels, who we assume, according to Revelation 12, a third of the, took a third of the angels with him, fell after the sixth day of creation. That, that amazes me, why, why the devil even rebelled against God, but when that happened, Jesus is saying, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. Now, now understand this. Jesus is observing that. I think it was God the Father that said, you're out of here. You and all these ones that want to follow you, you're gone. Boom. Just like that. Just like lightning. That's our God. That's the one we serve. Jesus saw that happen. And so for him, it was like, yeah, the demons are subject to you you in my name. Because they know me. And they know what's going to happen to him one day. So verse 19, he says, Behold, I give you authority. Now this is before the cross. This is not a post-cross theology. This is a pre-cross theology. He gave them authority before the cross. How can he do that? Because I I thought everything came back to the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus hadn't been shed yet. But yet he gave them authority before he went to the cross. Because authority was his to give. The kingdom of heaven came to earth when Jesus came, because wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. And authority was his to give even before the cross. He said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Those are, I think those are demonic forces. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's quite a promise. I mean, do you consider that a promise? Some people might call it a command. I think it's a promise. This is what I'm giving you this. And he didn't just give it to the 70. Those weren't the apostles of the Lamb, those weren't the 12. This was 70 people. We don't even know who they were 70 random people. He gave them authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. We have that same power and authority today. And yet the enemy still attacks us. The enemy still beats us up. Listen, and I'm not saying that I don't wrestle with with the devil and his thoughts and that I don't wrestle with things in my life because I'm like any of you. I do. But I need to be reminded of this also when those things come. He's under my feet. He can't give me any thought that I don't want. And I don't want any of his thoughts, because why why does the devil come? He comes, he does not come, Scripture says, except to do what? Steal. Steal, kill, and destroy. So why on earth would I listen to anybody who wants to steal from me, kill me, or destroy me? But Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. That's the contrast of what we're talking about here in the spiritual realm. Uh, just a couple more scriptures, and I'll, and I'll be done. James chapter 1. So if there isn't truly faith in our hearts, then what we think or say we're believing will not come to pass. And I want to show you this in James chapter 1. This is, this is a fascinating, very, in my opinion, very hard-hitting verse, very hard-hitting passage, at least in my life. I, I, I would assume that it would be to any serious Christian. James chapter 1. Most of you probably already know where I'm going. James chapter one verse five. Now this is after. He, well, let me start in verse two. He says, "My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials." Oh boy. Oh. How many of you count it joy when you fall into various trials? We've had our power off. How many days now? Three, four days. We've had power off, and thanks to Jeff Berkey, my brother-in-law, we have a generator, <laughs> so we can at least keep our refrigerator and freezer going and have a fan going in the house. But in our culture, that's a trial. That's not a trial in Africa. They're not worried about generators and having power, you know, out on the plane in Africa. You know, uh, if their cow gets sick and it's the only cow they have, that might be a trial. But our trials are a lot different than other people's trials in the world. You know, first world. First world problems and second world problems and third world problems are very distinctively different. I uh, I used to joke because my daughter's been on missions trips to third world countries and second world countries and and so she would come back and and uh, if if she gets irritated because the, the line is too long at DQ or something I'd say that's kind of a first world problem isn't it not really a third world problem or a second world problem that's that's one of America's problems you know but uh, so he says count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's not necessarily a fun statement either. The testing of our faith. How many of you like your faith tested? Raise your hand if you want your faith tested today. (laughs) Hallelujah. Of course not. But our faith is going to be tested if we're going to grow in the Lord. And, and it's not God necessarily bringing the test. It's just the test and trials that we face in this life. But he allows them to happen for sure. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. That word means mature and complete, lacking nothing. So if we want to grow up in the Lord, we need to uh, take joy in trials. We need to allow our faith to be perfected through patience and through these trials that we face. Now, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all, to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That word reproach means that God doesn't hold things against us. So, no matter what I did yesterday, no matter what I did the day before, or last year, or the year before that, all the bad things that I've done, if I've gone to the throne of grace and received forgiveness from God, I am cleansed from all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. Isn't that a great promise? Amen. And I receive that by faith. The devil wants me to think, no, he's not going to forgive you for that. But the Word of God says, yes, he will. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So we can be clean every day of our life. So that's why God doesn't hold anything against us. There's nothing to hold against us. Plus, we're washed in the blood of Jesus. Even if I forget to repent tomorrow, which I I, I try to receive... Go to before the throne of grace every day and receive forgiveness every day. That's just part of my prayer life. But even if I forget that part, he doesn't hold things against me. He's not sitting there saying, well, Jeff, I would give you healing, but remember what you did last week? That's not the God we serve. He's merciful and forgiving. Praise God for that. So he'll give liberally without reproach. Now look at verse 6. It says, but let him, this is the person who's asking, ask in faith, With no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man, the one who doubts, suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I would guess, and this is no condemnation because I'm in the same boat. Remember, we're all in this thing together. I'm talking to myself, preaching to myself. You've heard people say that all the time. But it is true in this in, in anything that I say this morning it's it's extremely true but I would say this that probably the vast majority of times that our faith is not effective as Christians is because there's doubt now I don't know your hearts I don't know your mind I'm that's speculation that's a general statement very speculative I understand that I'm just saying that's how I feel about it because I know myself and I know that I'm not any different the way that I think and act, the way that my Christian life, I think we're probably all so similar, you'd be surprised how similar we are in the way that we think and act and the things we do in our Christian life. And I would say that for me, it probably comes back to doubt. Because I'm not truly believing what God said and I'm not enacting it through, through, out of my mouth from a place in my heart that is truly full of faith. So I'm only saying that to say this. I think that when we pray and we're believing God for something, we need to check our hearts. We need need to watch what comes out of our mouth. And I'm not suggesting we be the word police and go around, oh, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't say that. You know, don't don't point the finger at somebody else. Look at yourself. It's not about you correcting other people. It's not about me correcting, even correcting you this morning. It's about me presenting the truth of the God's word and letting that sear our hearts this morning. If we doubt we're double minded and we shouldn't expect to receive much from God. yeah, the word is anything. That's a pretty powerful statement. A lot of charismatic word of people word of faith people need to hear that over and over and over because it probably could answer a lot of questions in their prayer life and in their life in general. That's one reason uh, you know we we one reason I think we don't receive some of the things that we are speaking out of our mouth. Another reason, James four three, and, I'm, and this will be the last scripture that I go to. James chapter four verse three says, "You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures." So here's another reason that we don't receive things from God. Oftentimes, is because we ask amiss, that we may spend it on our own pleasures. Um, I think it was Albert Willis that, that talked about how oftentimes we pray with one hand behind our back and we have, the, we have the plan B behind our back. In case God doesn't answer my prayer, I've got another plan back here. That's not faith. Authority, again, I, I, I went off on a little teaching about faith, but as I said at the beginning of this, faith and authority are, are linked. Uh, you can't have one without the other. You can't effectively uh, exercise one without the other. Just like anything else in our Christian life. Why don't you stand up with me? Do you want me to continue or what, should I turn this over to you? Um, I think, uh, and I hope I didn't, I don't even know what time it is. Sorry, I didn't even watch the clock. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> I'm a timekeeper over here. <laughs> and the praise and worship team, yes, come on up. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of this the difference between uh, Chief Tyler and I in terms of spiritual difference. It's not that I don't care if people get saved. I want people to get saved. And I've given a lot of invitations. I've prayed with people for salvation. Uh, But I don't consider myself an evangelist. One of my best friends in the world is a pastor evangelist. And we used to have discussions all the time about evangelism versus discipleship. It's not one is more important than the other. It's both and. Both are extremely important. And if somebody gets saved, I believe they need to be discipled if they're going to grow as a Christian. So I'm just uh, trying to listen to the Holy Spirit this morning in terms of anything that he wants me to do or or desires for me to do, okay? So if you just give me a moment, if you would. Um, Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord God, that uh, you put this message on my heart. I pray that it was received well and Father, I just ask you this morning, if there's anything that you want to do through me, Father, that you would speak to my heart, direct me, Lord God, and let me be bold, bold enough to speak it out and to do those things. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Um, I hesitate doing this because I do think it's what God wants me to do, but I'm telling you, it's, it's not going to be easy for me. And here's why. If you've ever uh, prayed for somebody, for instance, that really needs healing for something, one of the thoughts that goes through your mind is, what if it doesn't happen? And that's the, that's the enemy. Because God says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The enemy says, what if it doesn't happen? And so I'm telling you this morning, that's even what I'm wrestling with in my heart. I'm just being honest with you. Is that okay? What I would like to do is to pray for anyone this morning who has been believing God for healing for something in their body months, years, I mean for a while, and you have not seen the manifestation of that. And I want to trust and believe God that this morning you will see the manifestation. Amen. That we will see it happen here today. Yes. And I'm going, to speak, I'm going to speak over your life for healing with as much passion and, and unction as I have in my heart. And, uh, but the bottom line is we're going to have to trust the word of God in the name of Jesus. That's, that's, the, only, that's the only thing I have to offer you. So is there anybody here that you've been believing God for healing in your body from something that you have not seen the manifestation of? Would you come down and let me lay hands on you and pray for you? And, I, and I'm believing that this morning, today, will be the day that you will see this happen in your life. And again, this is not up to me. This is something that God wants to do. And I believe that if we believe together, if we put our, if we put our faith together and trust God, that he will do these things. Amen.